Cradeline Network. First episode of Big Meg One. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way to the Judge Dread magazine. This episode, we're covering the Judge Dread magazine for June 1994, Volume Two, Issues 55 and 56. This episode, Dread fights the Howler. Where we'll go adventuring with the missionary man and have some lady adventures with Judges Anderson, Karen, and. The, and a new story with Judge, with uh, Harmony, who's not a judge, but Dread World. It's a whole thing. Um, and we're down to two issues this episode for reasons that will become clear when we get um, after the next episode of Space Spitter and then when we come into this one, basically. All will be revealed, I promise. And if you want to read along with this, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread, The Complete Case Files 20, Anderson the Side Files Volume 2, The Missionary Man Collection, and The Judge Dread Magazine 288. How you doing this time, Eli? I'm doing great. A lot of uh, cool art this uh, this episode. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting just that I think especially like with black and white stuff, um, mm-hmm. we get some very sort of, I guess, old, it feels kind of old school to me it's just because this ha- used to be how 2000 AD was where we've got like, you know, three color stories and two black and white stories, which is very mm-hmm. right unusual for the full color, even like 2000 AD, the, the progs and stuff. Yeah. sort of switched to full color a couple years ago. Now when there's a black and white story, they apologize. But it's interesting <laughs> to see sort of just deciding, yeah, no, listen, this comic has some black and white sections, you yeah. know? I prefer it. So that's uh, no apology to me. Uh, but also, <laughs> Judge Judge Karen, I didn't realize. Have I, have I met her before? No, no, she's new. Today? Got it, because the name hasn't aged well in the you know recent generations. So. Well, it's it's I, with I, a I Y at the is. very least, but yeah, okay. you're right. All right. Cool, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like she is sort of calling the cops on people because she is the cops, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It <laughs> so, tracks. It's all there. You know, it's a whole thing. Although, although she does not have the uh, the iconic haircut or whatever mm, of right. of a of your of your standard Karen or whatever. Right. Anyway, <laughs> these jokes. Oh man. <laughs> so let's get started with story one, Judge Dread. So just one Dread story this time in two parts, and we're continuing on from last time with Howler, uh, script about John Wagner, art about Mick McMahon, letter about Tom Frame. An alien bully known as Howler has taken up residence in an Mega City One hotel and has kicked the crap out of Judge Dredd in the process. <laughs> Last time, he t- uh, Dredd told some arriving backup that they needed to use stum gas on the beast. But when the judges try to do so, the Howler has disappeared. But he must have been there because like Dredd's lying there in a pool of his own blood. And he's like, I didn't do this to myself, you know. Elsewhere, at the Skyview Hotel in Mega City One, the Howler has arrived and is checking in. He must have a teleporter. This seems bad, but Judge Moy has a plan to deal with the Howler here. He's given full run of the hotel and the best wishes from the Justice Department. Meanwhile, we see Dredd in an ambulance getting patched up, but he rejects an injection from the medic. He's like, 
no anesthetic. I gotta stay awake and finish the job. At the hotel, the howler shown to the Sky Dome room requests the simple meal of a live cow and 30 victims to torture. The, the judge's plan becomes clear as an H-Wagon flies by the Sky Dome, which is this kind of big glass dome that encloses the, uh, the penthouse of this hotel. And an H-Wagon fires a bunch of lasers at the howler. But... They're like refracted by the glass or something. They aren't powerful enough. They just piss the howler off. Because of this, he screams that the judges are beginning to get on his nerves. That he screams this so loudly that it rips the ship to pieces. It crashes into the ambulance that dreads it and he barely leaps free. From the rooftop, the Howler keeps shouting, shaking the entire city, warning them that one more act of defiance and he will bring the whole city down. Dread, now ultra battle damaged, no shoes, no gloves, no shoulder or elbow pads. His, he's a leg in this big green, like hard cast thing, and he just stumbles out. He's got to finish this. Despite his injuries, someone's got to shut that loud mouth up. The Howler shouts when he roars, planets tremble, and he literally destroys the new Jack City block. Dread stumbles forward knowing his lawgiver's no good, but there's got to be another way to take this creature down. The Howler demands submission or he'll destroy the city and shouts, I am not the kind of galactic dominator you trifle with. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, Dread seems to have a plan, though. He stands on a satellite. He gets a, a satellite dish and shoots the Howler a couple times to get his attention. The Howler's pissed, feels a titanic rage coming on, and prepares to howl Dread into oblivion. But the sound of the shout hits this extra strong satellite dish and it reflect, reflects back on the Howler, his own voice, the only thing powerful enough to hurt him. And his head explodes in a big welter of gore. <laughs> the day is saved and Dread gets some much needed medical attention. I guess you don't have to be smart to be a galactic dominator. <laughs> there you go. The, yeah, the end of Dread. Next time on Dread. Judge Dredd, guilty? We'll find that one out together. He's guilty of a lot of things. I'm not too surprised. It's true. Listen, well, you know, he does him, He does stuff in the name of the law, you know, so I guess you can't, whatever, doubt him too much. Yeah. yeah. Howler was uh, very interesting. Also, I think it's um when they had shot that laser at him from the um, while he was in the dome, I think it cut off uh, two of his weird tentacle legs. That oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, took out some uh, of his some of his back tentacles or whatever. Right. I don't know what they're for, but he seems. I think he shot some lasers out of them. I mean, I don't know. I see. Right, right. Or a missile. Uh, right. But I am. Uh, I like how they ended it. Very, you know, defeat themselves thing. I'm glad Dread was a part of it. But same note, I'm like, I want to know more about whatever this Howler thing is. Like, are there <laughs> a bunch of other galactic tyrants that you you should trifle with? Like, I uh, I have so many questions. That's a good. That's a good point. Man, I would love to, yeah, just a a happy-go-lucky galactic tyrant, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll try, I'll try, I'll be trifled with whatever. It'll be a good time, okay, right? <laughs> yeah, let's hang out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then I should say after this story ends, there's also a little like featurette, like a, a two-page things, just sort of talking about 
where the idea for the creature came from, and then some sort of initial sketches by Mike McMahon sort of of the design of the character and stuff like that. Yeah, it looks like it was originally a guy with a big mouth. Yeah, and, and it was sort of... Tips. Yeah, and it was based on this, like, uh, like some news photo or something of, like, the close-up of some fish's, of some creepy fish's jaws, you know? <laughs> Give them big That's mouth. Funny. It's scary. That kind of stuff. <laughs> totally, yeah. And again, I think that this art style is really controversial, but I think it was really good for this story specifically, I think. Mm-hmm. Just a, there's a couple of these pages where the howler, where the howler is shouting things, and it's just like the whole page is just his face with a giant mouth in the middle uh, of the words that he's saying. I think those are really neat. Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, no, very fun. Yeah, definitely. And that takes us to our next adventure, More Judges, with Story 2, Shimura. Scripter about Robbie Morrison, artner about Colin McNeil, lettering about John Beeston. In Hondo City, Dreadworld, Japan, former Judge Shimura has become a ronin, a, a masterless samurai, fighting against a Yakuza boss that has swapped brains with Shimura's old friend and fellow judge, and is now plotting to assassinate the chief judge of Hondo and take his place and control of the city. There was also a mutant demon involved, but that's recently been handled, so don't worry about it. And with... <laughs> sorry, there's a lot in this story. With the only defeated... Um, Shimura and Judge Inspector Inaba have to rush to deal with the assassination. As they arrive at the um, at the Akuza Mansion, Inaba and Shimura split split ways. And there's a little action scene where Inaba sort of uses her bike to leap into an oncoming gunship to stop the assassination. As Shimura runs in to fight Sagawa, the um, uh, Yakuza guy who's now in the body of his old judge friend or whatever. Anyway, he arrives to fight a sword in each hand, and he was apparently let in through security by Sagawa's daughter, Michiko, who we've been sort of dealing, you know, we met earlier in the story. At the crash site, it looks like the conspirators have gunned, or, um, the conspirators are gunned down, and Inaba is saved by some mysterious Yakuza-affiliated judges who call themselves the true power in Hondo. They kind of tell Inaba that the chief judge is just a figurehead and they're like the true power behind um, Hondo and whatever else, you know, stay out of Riverdale or something like that. (laughs) Right. This is above your pay grade. That kind of, you know, forget it. It's Hondo town or it's Hondo city, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, there's samurai fighting to deal with Sagawa and Shimura cross blades, fighting their way into a room full of the flayed and stretched tattooed hides of Yakuza members. All these cool, you know, Yakuza tattoos, if you're familiar with those, like, like those video games or whatever. You know, they got right. a very distinct yeah, look. So yeah, like people's full backs. Just uh, Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Not easy to donate to this collection, I'll say mm. that much. Um, in the end, uh, Michiko distracts Sagawa that gives Shimura an opening to strike these big slashing blows against, like, across the face of Shigawa and, you know, d- just defeat him, presumably quite bloodily. The enemy defeated, Shimura kneels and prepares to commit seppuku, like, you know, r- Japanese ritual suicide by, like, putting a, a sword in your gut or whatever. But Michiko stops him. 
Wiping blood from his wound, she says she will take her father's place as the Oyabun of the Yakuza organization and try to change things for the better. But he must monitor her as she does so in case she become too much of her father's daughter and becomes evil. And, you know, if he does, then, you know, kill her with his awesome samurai ways, basically. She only trusts him to do it and says, you have to live, warrior, no matter how much you want to die. That was a pretty cool line. The (laughs) over funeral scenes, Inaba wraps the story up. Mostly we've just gone back to status quo, but she's certainly more cynical about the world she inhabits now. The the Kuroi Kur, the Black Mist, has fallen once more on Hondo Sit. And maybe it's for the best as we see Shimura riding on his motorcycle into the rising sun because she says she's seen the face of justice and it is too terrifying to contemplate. The end for now of Shimura, it will return in early 1995. Nice. Yeah, I like uh, it's a. Uh concept of justice and all those things i think it's a very interesting uh way mm-hmm. to tie it into judge dread's uh universe because it felt totally separate before and i'm like okay now yeah. i kind of see the parallels i mean i think it's really interesting yeah just because you know there's no like there's not really an undercurrent of organized crime in like mega city one the way that the yakuza are part of uh are part of hondo sit in um in the shimura stories you know and I think it's it, it makes for an interesting story if one that's also sort of I don't know you know the inscrutable East or something like that you know right, like, uh, right. it's a vibe. little it's a little worrying but I think it's mostly sort of you know <laughs> it just make it feels very 1994 honestly like so, which yeah. is this era of like cyberpunk stories having a very sort like um like fascination with japan and also i don't know sort of being really interested in certain elements of it it's sort of an early yeah. sci-fi thing i guess and just yeah. sort of as as people learned you know learning about and romanticizing japanese stuff as well you know yes yeah that's what i was doing in 1994 it just romanticized romanticizing japanese stuff so i get I feel it like i feel like i was i don't know right like, <laughs> like you you know there's a lot of like Whatever, starting to learn about these about these comics and these animes and so forth, right? You know, exactly. Yep. Getting to grips with these uh, stories about honor and whatever. Yeah, right. What all that stuff? Wasn't until ten years later you realize you don't know what you're talking about, and that it's a very uh, watered down, Americanized version of it. And then you, yeah, you know, it's a whole, it's whole system. Well, but, but I feel like, you know, I, I feel like that happens every 10 years almost. Right. I feel right. like that's true. I feel like, oh, I mean, I mean, I, I will tell you as a nerd that my understanding of like Japanese stuff has definitely gained more and more layers as the years have gone by. <laughs> I feel like, right. Which is good. Which is good. That means you're growing and adapting. Absolutely. I think it's, yeah, you want to keep learning this kind of stuff so that you, in in that way, you get better relationships with it, I think. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You can learn our mistakes if you just look at our food. If you look at American Taco Bell and Olive Garden and uh, what we did to the pizza, then you can understand what we do when we take other cultures and try to, you know, bring them on over. Listen, buddy, I'm in England. You don't even want to know what we have for tacos over here. My my goodness. (laughs) 
<laughs> but speaking of a Tex-Mex flavor, let's go to story three, Missionary Man. <laughs> well played. About, listen, doing my best here. Scripture about Gordon Rennie, art about Frank Whiteley and Gary Marshall, letter about Annie Parkhouse and Steve Potter. So continuing from last time, Demonic Mutant Legion is terrorizing the Cursed Earth, and Preacher Kane, the missionary man, is back to settle his hash. And this time he's brought the right weapon, a giant gun with silver bullets, where the bullets used to be crosses that have been melted down to be the bullets. Oh, it's cool. He blows a giant hole in Legion's head, but that's not enough to take him out either. So Kane just decides to get old fashioned with it and just pulls a big cross, like just out of his coat, just like a baseball bat sized cross or so, and just starts wailing on Legion's head with it. Eventually, he places it on there to try to like exercise him or something. But even that's not enough. Legion uses powers to explode the cross and then fights back with Kane, like punching the crap out of him, even though he's got like a giant hole in his head, you know? Right. Where are your gimmicks now? He shouts as he punches him. He gets Kane on the ground and prepares to kill him, monologuing as he does, of course, when uh, Resurrection Joe picks up part of the broken cross and then runs over and stabs Legion right in the spine with it. The meek will inherit the earth, I say. Or at least stab the earth in the back, in the spine, so I can't do anything. (laughs) Seemingly incapacitated, Kane's now going to finish this one last time. He says, listen, Legion, you're just some crazy mutant. You aren't like a demon or whatever. Just a real tough freak. But no matter how tough you are, no one gets up from being tossed in a big pool of lava. So that's what he does. That's my one weakness, Eli. Big pool of lava. I'm like the one ring. The Legion uh, Legion melts in the molten rock. His evil minions run away in the wilderness and Cain's like, let him go and you know spread the story that we kicked that demon's ass. In the end, it's over, and Kane and Joe head off into the prairie. Missionary Man will return. Well, actually, will return right now, but for, we, 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 we won't see Frank quietly until uh, 1996. This is his last time in the prog- or in the magazine for a little while. So uh, Gary Marshall and Steve Potter, or Gary Marshall on art and Steve Potter on uh, lettering takes over here. On a farm at night, a skeleton wreathed in green flame approaches a man named Jacob Cartwright. He's scared and tries to blast the ghost with his shotgun, but the shotgun blasts do nothing. <laughs> and even though he says that he already killed this creature once, but it sort of reaches out to him and things look bad. <laughs> Later, Kane and Joe are riding into the town of Rainbow's End, past a body hung up on a cross being eaten eaten by buzzards, and it's pretty clearly that Cartwright guy. Kane says that Rainbow's Edge ends a prosperous town, but when they arrive, they find it empty, buildings boarded up with lots of, like, gone-to-Texas signs on them and stuff like that. Um, there are still some folks here, though, as the duo arrive at the town hall, as the sheriff, town sheriff and the mayor address angry townsfolk complaining about dead folks and rotten crops. 
Cain drops the body from the cross on the uh, middle in the middle of the uh, of the meeting room. Oh, that's Jacob Cartwright. The curse got him. Cain asks, "What's going on?" The locals say it's local business. So Cain and Joe stump on out of there. Looks like they don't need law work, but maybe they got some spiritual needs. So Cain prepares to take confession from the mayor with a gun or a bottle of booze. <laughs> that night, at least, you know, mayor walks into his office and finds Kane waiting for him, basically. Um, meanwhile, at the jail, the sheriff is attacked by that same green apparition. Kane rushes in and sees a floating green ghost lady sucking the life out of the sheriff. It wants vengeance. The mayor is shocked and explained he's the only one left, so she'll be coming for him too. He he starts to tell the story of how he and the rest of those boys rode out to burn the witch woman. And as we sort of fade to flashback, the pointed hoods that they're wearing in as he tells the story suggest this will not be a happy tale, Eli. Mm, yes. Very <laughs> subtle. All right. Indeed, yes. Next time on Missionary Man, Unforgiven. Just sort of, you know, wrapping up one story, going into another one, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see how this one turns out. Hopefully, it's a. I mean, I had a little trouble with Legion, just how you had to just keep shooting him, and he was just full of holes, and it didn't really matter. He also just mm-hmm. shape shifted. Yeah. I think Machine Man's full of it, being like, "You're just a mutant." I'm like, "There's something clearly going on with this guy." Like, yeah, I mean, he's not just a mutant. He clearly has some. Pa- he called all those people to him. Like, how the hell did right. he do that? You know, exactly. He the the cross the the metal cross burst into flames, which is like yeah a weird they, thing for they rode they, through they, that big cactus field full of like talking dead guys and stuff. Like right. that's not exactly. like basic stuff. It's like it's like in Scooby Doo when they reveal like. Sometimes they'll reveal, you know, they, they reveal the ghost is whatever old man Withers who runs the amusement park or something. Right. But like, there's some, you know, sometimes actual ghost stuff happens in there. You right. know, that's right. that can't just be explained by like a slide proje- by a movie projector doing <laughs> something or something like right. that. You know, on fog, right? Uh, right. Like, it's just I'm, like there was more happening than that. You know. Yeah. There's so much I want to say about Scooby Doo and their formula, but that'll have to be for another podcast. All right, I want to I want to hear this at some point though, because you I'm <laughs> I'm interested in this nitpicking. <laughs> All right, but with that, we're at slightly at a halfway point, so we can just quickly talk about some covers, editorials, and dreadlines. Just sort of some of the non-story stuff, basically. Issue 55, Harmony, Ice Warrior, greets us on this cover by Trevor uh, Harrison. The new character stands in an icy cave, gun in hand, and a bunch of skulls on the ground. And I just want to point out that uh, right above the UPC symbol, you can see one of the skulls has like googly eyes, which I think is is pretty funny. Big like (laughs) cartoon eyes. The editorial further introduces this new story and the new creative team while saying goodbye to Shimura and the current setup for Missionary Man. Um, There's this newish Inquisition section, which is just where people can ask questions about the dread continuity and character and stuff like that. And the big one in this one is asks about Dread's niece last seen back in Prague 116, back in like the late 70s, and like how that works into continuity. Because it's one of these things where like, 
Dread had a brother, but like Dread sent him to prison, basically. Right. But he also has a niece that's like like, but he's he sent the brother to prison twenty years ago. But he's got this niece that's like seven or eight or something like that. So like, how do those timelines work out, right? Right. And the I think it's kind of interesting because the the editor because like uh yeah the answer to the letter is is basically kind of like a mm, it's like a it's like a shrug like what do you guys think like I got some like I myself have some theories but you know I I can't (laughs) say definitively that's I think. We're just sort of – it's something that will, I believe, be answered eventually, but it's not on anybody's radar at the moment. But at some point, I I, I know Vienna Dread returns, and we got more right. discussion about it, basically. Yeah. With that and sci-fi, there's so many ways. You can just go conjugal visits. You can go time anomaly. You can go cloning. You can go yeah. mistaken identity. They got options. Yeah. There's sperm bank stuff. Right. Suspended animation. Yeah. Any number of things, you know. <laughs> yeah. Semi-legal cloning. Right. Whatever. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then the, the Dreadlines letters section has a lot of discussion of some of the Anderson of the recent Anderson stories, just sort of these ones that are pretty clearly sort of based on photo references with maybe some extra art added in and stuff like that. A lot of people say it's not that great. I kind of co-signed that. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of of this style. I guess. Yeah. 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 Can you say it again, Eli? Uh, yeah. It's you know. It's moderate. I don't know. It's just it's 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 not what I'm looking for in a comic book. I guess if that makes sense. Fine. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, uh, issue fifty six, falling down. Mike McMahon draws citizens tumbling behind the helmet of dread. The editorial introduces Judge Karen, who debuted in the special edition, the uh, Judge Dredd Mega Special this year, which we haven't actually covered yet on the uh, podcast. And, you know, uh, usually I, I don't have the main host on for that, Eli, so I don't, you, you'd have seen that anyway, basically. But whatever, just sort of like, you know, side story. Here's a new, introducing a new character. Now they're showing up in the main comic, basically. Right, right. There's also a teaser for the upcoming Wilderlands epic, which we'll be talking about in a few more episodes. The Inquisition section has some, I think, pretty good continuity questions. My favorite one is just mentioning that the devil is current, has been arrested by Judge Dredd and is currently in a Mega City One prison. <laughs> ISO block 666, you know, get him in there. Yeah. The Dread arrest the devil in sort of a in an annual, and it was two, and it was a uh, a rhyming story to the tune of like the devil went down to Georgia, basically. Like with that right, song. I forgot if a, a fiddle was involved or like uh... they there was yeah, I believe there was a fiddle contest and so forth. <laughs> um, also, there's a real life picture of Dread arresting Mister Blobby, who is a UK kid show mascot, basically. <laughs> Dreadlines complement the giant story and the mega special, and there is again this tease for this upcoming Dread story, which we'll talk about next episode. I'm very excited about it, and that takes us to the back half of our of our of our thrills here, our of our stories, starting with story four, Harmony. Script robot Chris Stanley, art robot Trevor Harrison, lettering robot Ellie Deville. 
as mentioned a couple times in the letter pages, this is our, or in both this episode and last one, it's our first time seeing Trevor Harrison, who um, will go into a bunch of stuff here and in uh, 2000 AD. And we go to a new story. Harmony Krieg is a gun for hire in Uranium City, Dreadworld, Alaska. Take me down to Uranium City where the grass is snow and the girls glow pretty because of the radiation. (laughs) As we enter this snowy expanse, we see a a ship cleared to land, like a, a spaceship kind of thing. But something happens aboard it instead, and it crashes into the snow as we see a figure in a hoverbike looking on. We're 10 clicks from the town of of Misery, where a man, Dean Kisco, is doing some riveting when a uh, female figure arrives behind them. They've been sent to kill Dean Kisco. A gunfight breaks out between the man and the woman as they trade barbs until the lady gunman throws a grenade, killing Kisco, clearly. Back at Misery, the woman collects her bounty as a dude at the bar roughs up a guy with a quado that stole his chest or that stole his wallet. And, you know, having a quado, that's when like like quad like the character of quado in Total Recall, when you have kind of a smaller dwarf or a smaller guy grown out of your chest that can sort of do his own thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Everyone see Total Recall. It's good. There's a weird boggling guy grown out of that guy's chest. It's whole thing. Anyway, using it for pickpocketing. Hey, uh, the woman, Harmony, defends the thief, and the thief has a proposition for her. Come with him as protection to salvage a recently crashed shuttle that he knows about. Elsewhere, we see the grave of Dean Kisco as an older man. His father says that Dean's brothers have gone to town to get Harmony. And he's telling this to a grizzled and scarred old guy who says he knows Harmony from way back. And indeed, we flash back to 10 years ago when the two of them, and this guy's named Havoc and was Harmony's partner, Havoc and Harmony. That's a pretty good, like, uh, I don't know, action duo name, I think. Right. (laughs) But they were in a running gunfight with some jerks and dramatically jumped off the side of a building and that's like the it's a it's a flashback cliffhanger Eli but you know <laughs> since we know they're all alive it's a little bit like foregone conclusion right. i guess yeah that's a weird <laughs> way to do a cliffhanger but oh sure. d- did we survive in the past <laughs> <laughs> we see that they did in fact they uh have cool hover wings in their backpacks that they sort of activate and go to fly to safety but before they can harmony pulls out one of those like uh bomb detonator things and uses it to blow up havoc's flyer wing she betrays him oh no and he's falls to his not quite death because you know he's still alive in the present but horribly injured and recovered and stuff in the present the kisco brothers are hunting down harmony but she just gets the drop on him and kills the shit out of him some pretty good at least one real good like just shooting this guy right through the skull kind of moments (laughs) the bodies hit the floor but the sheriff has had enough and says harmony has till tomorrow to get out of town with nowhere to go, she takes the job with Zeke, who's the dude with the quado, and 
Meanwhile, I guess, you know, jump to a different movie as on the Geno Tech Orbiter Research Satellite, we see a crazy monster in an incubation or in an incubation chamber. It's part Raptor, part Gila Munga with chameleonic abilities. It's the latest high tech murder monster. And these (laughs) tech guys want it caught. And I appreciate that. They're genetically engineering it using the Raptar, which was that um, kind of venom monster from mm, the early days right. of the magazine, if you remember that, yes, Eli. Very sweet. <laughs> you know, just looping these continuities together, yeah. you know? That, yeah, it's those callbacks. It, it's, it, it's set in the, in the same world as Dread. They got these commonalities, right. you know? Right. <laughs> um, so, meanwhile, Harmony and Zeke are headed out over the tundra on a hover sled being drawn by cyber huskies with, like, you know, cybernetic implants. And they have hands, which I think is, is kind of gross, honestly. I don't right. know if I like that. Um, I also don't know how that helps you, you know, traverse the snow. Uh, I got, but, yeah. Uh, maybe the hands are for other things. Like, they're also, like, help with heavy lifting or something like that. I see. Maybe. I don't know. I agree. Like you'd think like they don't like if if I'm if I'm running four legged through the snow, I don't want I'd rather have a paw right. or some other right. thing like that. A snowshoe exactly. maybe as opposed to They're a hand. So busy wondering, excited that they could do it. They didn't ask if they should be doing it. That's I mean that's hap- that's happening a lot in this comic, honestly, especially with that <laughs> murder machine alien monster as well. Right. I'm sure that won't come back to bite them at all. Right. It's probably yeah. easy. And certainly not come back to bite them literally <laughs> in a literal right. sense. Yeah. As well as figurative. Um yeah. So they're moving through the frozen wastes, but see a biosphere and decide to knock on the door and see if they can't like, I don't know, get some hot chocolate or something like that. Back in town, a figure arrives with a Uranium City Justice ID. He's looking for harmony, but the sheriff says that she left a few days ago. A local rats out her location to the man, presumably Havoc, and he's pumped. I've got her now, he says. In the biodome, the locals welcome Harmony and Zeke in. They're eco-hermits. Oh, geez, it's the paradise nudist colony. They just walk in to see this Shangri-La of uh, you know jungle environment with all these naked folks standing around looking happy. Yeah, exactly. Especially when the weather's nice, you know, just all the, yeah. what do you do? Yeah, no, surprisingly non-ominous. Oh, wait, no, possibly ominous, actually. Anyway. Yes. (laughs) Next time, Paradise Gained. Ooh, like Paradise Lost. Right. The opposite. The opposite. Yeah. Freak out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Speaking of sinister, or or no, sorry, what what do you think about um, Harmony, Eli? I like that it's black and white. I think that's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, uh, consistent and um, legible, which, which is right. a big uh, thing for me. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But I think it's kind of fun just introducing this ass kicker, this new ass kicker character and stuff like that. Um, right. She's clearly kind of an anti-hero or someone you can't quite trust and stuff like that, which, right. again, does feel very 90s to me, actually. You know, it's sort of an era of, you know, 
guy of characters with guns that you couldn't sh- that you shouldn't trust too much you know mm. so i'm i'm excited i th- i think it's an interesting one i'm enjoying it yeah. right now i'll admit that i do remember from my read through that there comes a point where harmony gets kind of hard to follow so i'm enjoying yeah, these er- these early days i guess i could see that i could see by how they're structuring their story and how they're trying to incorporate all this these things i could see it getting convoluted pretty quickly yeah, there's a lot going on. I think just because we're sort of introducing a lot, you know, it's it's kind of fun seeing new thrills, I guess, when they sort of, I mean, I guess this is a common problem, actually, when we have new thrills, where sort of the, the writer often has a lot of ideas. And so they've got to work uh-huh. to like, you know, how can I get all this stuff together at first, at, you know, at, at, at once? So everything. My whole story machine is working properly, you know. Yeah, yeah. I heard that's actually pretty common in a lot of publications, especially like when they're popular and people have like these chances to get in. They want to make sure you know that they're amazing and awesome and their characters are super cool and they put too much in and then it goes flat. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's a story we've seen with like Pan-African judges, for instance, as well, mm -hmm. where it's sort of like – I got some I got right. some characters and concepts and themes that I want mm. to sort of have going on here. Right. But uh, I think what the because I've, I've researched this, that what they recommend you do is um, follow a common pace and just leave on something cool. Don't try to force it all in because it just mm-hmm. becomes too much. But if you leave people wanting more, they're like, huh, I want to what is going on with that? Then they're more <laughs> likely to uh, give it the time and effort. Yeah, well, well, we'll see how Harmony does with this, I guess. that's. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely something good to keep in mind, especially with these new thrills we've got coming in. Right, right. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, continuing on our this theme of uh, folks on Mystic Quests, let's go to Story 5, Anderson, Side Vision. A script robot Alan Grant, art robot Jousis, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. After getting a postcard from Orlock the Assassin, former side judge Cassandra Anderson is on the planet Zerbia, where, as part of customs, she is checked for genetic defects. There's some discussion about sort of governments using scapegoats to avoid um, having to deal with their real problems. And on Zerbia, the sick and ill are targeted as scapegoats. There's a lot of like, you know... You have a hereditary propensity for like Parkinson's or disease or other sort of mm-hmm. sort of genetic cancers or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they take her blood and say, oh, your blood is quite good. You'll make someone a fine bride. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the spaceport, Anderson walks the streets of the city, which are full of fully armed soldiers, barbed wire and a big public gallows. And she says that it disturbs her, but I don't know if that actually makes sense based on where she's coming from in Mega City One. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> he points it out a little bit, but like to be real, like if if you're uncomfortable, it's only the it's only identical to the lack to the com- to the discomfort that you yourself caused in the Mega Citizens. You right. know, yeah, exactly. But I think it's she's been out, you know. Uh- doing some sightseeing so she's just been doing crazy space wrestling you know just kind of get in touch it's with true. her roots yeah she's had a chance back, to see like, how everyone else lives i guess yeah, she's yeah. Been back like gross but i do think you're right subconsciously she's got to be thinking this is what i was doing to people yeah no she definitely is i think that's one of the narration boxes yeah but she mm-hmm. she says that if scapegoats find a hero 
then the leaders of society must kill them. And then we get a big, like, full page um, propaganda document with the seven things visitors should know about Zerbia. And I've got them listed out here, which is uh, they practice medical cleansing to purify the gene pool. The president for life isn't interested in hearing opposing political ideas. If you have a cold or something, you got to go see the doctor or be arrested. Um, for Zerbia is completely crime free. Don't talk to the locals, tourists. Just spend money. <laughs> Five is uh, drugs are illegal except for booze and cigarettes. And certain books, songs, and videos are also outlawed. Rule six, or that's rule five. Rule six is the Western deserts are off limits. And seven is we'll hang you. That's how we like to kill folks. Everyone has their taste. Yeah, I guess so. From her, from her hotel room, Anderson sees a military patrol with a bunch of sick people in one of those trucks that's got like a cage built into the back of it being pulled in. And one of them, indeed, is Orlock, who we saw um, in that same sort of Batman jumpsuit that we saw last episode. At dawn, he's brought to the gallows, and they're selling postcards of the hangings. But he breaks free and shouts to the people and, like, tries to give an impassioned speech that, like, their beliefs are wrong and the well, the sick, and the insane all have the right to a free life. The people don't seem very convinced as Anderson, who's picked up a, a pink hoverboard, swoops in to save him. She comes in with a knife and uses that to cut his noose and then grab him. The two of them fly away as soldiers open fire. The pair go to escape, but Orlok says there's still something he has to do. But rather than explain, he opens his thoughts to Anderson and suddenly she understands. They have sort of a, a psychic link going on. They fly back to the gallows and Orlok throws a laser knife at the president for life, getting him right in the eye and seemingly killing him. Anderson and Orlok, their minds united, fly off into the maze of the, of the city. And five minutes later, they land on a rooftop warehouse and drop into the building where a collection of the old and infirm are hiding out, waiting for them. They seem to be led by a woman named Sarah Yevo an old woman with Parkinson's disease. And like, here's a weird thing where like, this country's called Serbia. This lady's called Sarajevo, which is like the city of Sarajevo in the Balkans. And there's, and also the Balkan, like that crisis in the nineties, I think with like ethnic cleansing, sort of like genetic cleansing and stuff. The president for life is named like general rat with R A A T which didn't quite make sense to me as another name related to that conflict, Eli. Although if someone remember, right. knows what like what that's a reference to, I'm sure it is one. But there just seems like all this talk about genetic or uh, people being sick and being scapegoated also seems like we're talking about the Balkan conflict in the early 90s here as well. They're sort of yeah. – they're just gesturing towards it a lot, I guess. Right. Absolutely. Anyway, the other genetic defects, quote unquote, are loaded onto a school bus, which Anderson and Orlock drive out of the city to go to the desert and escape everybody. They're sort of mad maxing their way out of the town here. They blast through a roadblock and rely on Anderson's side powers to lead them further. She has a vision of an eagle and says to follow that. 
They head into the wilderness, eventually finding a fortified camp built into a cliff face where the people can be safe. Um, and the sun sets as Anderson and Orlock talk about how their encounter with them aliens on Mars have bonded them as one consciousness, as you do. <laughs> Orlock's going to stay here and fight, but Anderson has business to take care of off-world, so they kiss and part as Orlock promises they'll meet again. It is their destiny. Though, so, Eli, I'll tell you that, that it might be a while, because from what I can tell, the next time we see Orlock is in 1999, so it'll be a little while yet, I think. Mm. Anyway, next time on Anderson, the Devil's Trill. Yeah, I don't know, just I some just some freedom fighting like, action here. Yeah, oddly enough, I don't know why I'm so invested in uh, Anderson's love life, but I don't like that they're <laughs> making out in there. It feels like that obligatory love interest that they put in like action movies, where it's like, mm. and then we got a kiss, and I'm like, that has nothing to do with saving the world or disarming this bomb. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's fine. I'm accepting it, but I'm like, you didn't need to put that in. Like, it, it always feels left-fieldish to me. But sure, uh, yeah, our alien I mean, adventure. I, that's why we're bonded. Yeah, I, I agree. It almost seems like, like if they're just sort of in love or something like that, it almost seems to cheapen the fact they're supposed to have this like weird spiritual psychic connection or something. Like, you should be um, right. maybe even beyond making out. You got to do some weird, mm. like. <laughs> version of doing it that involves like uh you know mental powers In or something mind. like yeah they think right. about it they think at each other real hard and that's better than sex or something like that you know right yeah but i guess it probably was it this was a uh, 1994 it probably wasn't a mm -hmm. uh, as annoying back then i think it was still probably in the ether just everyone's kind of doing it a little bit, although I feel like a lot of these action tropes exist at that point, at this point, you know, I mean, mm, you know, right. it's around the era of like Last Action Hero, which I always think of as the high point of both having action movie tropes and making fun of action movie tropes, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I have to, I have to, I have to check that one out. But yeah, yeah, I don't know if I wouldn't uh, say, yeah, how much I wouldn't say hurting them back then. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a good movie, but I'd say that it's sort of. I don't know. If you want all the cop movie tropes in one place, it's a good it's a good thing to to look for them. Just because that it's very because because it's it's making fun of them as much as anything else, you know. Nice. That's pretty anyway, cool. Wait, yeah, but still fun times, and we're going to continue on with Anderson's adventures for at least a couple for a couple more episodes, I think. Though now they're about to get real, uh, real, uh, real trippy and um, pseudo religious and stuff like that. There's going to be a lot going on. All right. I'll buckle yeah, in. Exactly. Exactly. And I guess, yeah. And while we're talking about side judges, let's go to story six. Judge Karen. Script about John Freeman, art robot, Adrian Salmon, learning robot, Gordon Robson. New story drawn by new artist, Adrian Salmon. Judge Karen is a side judge like Judge Anderson, mostly with precognitive abilities. And I should mention that, like um, Harmony, this is another black and white comic. I think of the art style here very, is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, very Art Deco. Uh, if I had to put a, a description on it, it's got a very you know, all these like sharp edges and like really dark, dark blacks and like like just you know only black and white, no shades of gray or anything like that. You know, right. Also, things don't have lines; they just have silhouettes of the. Uh darkness the shadow and the highlights exactly exactly yeah. 
Very cool. Yeah, no, I, I'm interested. Yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a cool look for sure. Um, a at at Recyc, where all the dead bodies in Mega City One go, a man collects a jar with a skull on it from a delivery robot. It's genetic waste to be destroyed. He goes to do so, but then something happens. Oh no! <laughs> Meanwhile, Side Judge Karen is in hot pursuit of the organ runner Willie Wobbler on Mandela Boulevard. But she gets a sigh flash of screaming dudes in vats or something, and her bike crashes. Wobbler pulls over to finish the job, but when he goes to attack her, she just stabs him instead. You know, classic self-defense moves here, the boot knife. <laughs> um, yeah. Ke- we, we also, as this happens, Karen takes off her helmet, and we see she's got this giant, like, dreadlocked hairdo or something like that. Like, her head kind of looks like the, um, like the top of a palm tree or something <laughs> like that, almost. I don't know. Yeah. She's got big, she, she got yeah. real big hair. Hair so big that right. I wonder if it could actually fit under her helmet the way it was, the way that we saw it previously, you know? Yes, definitely. It's, it's, and the it's, art it's style, like she takes her helmet off and she suddenly. Really confuses the texture and yeah, I was saying that uh, yeah, the art style makes it hard to really even understand what her hair is or how it looks or the texture or anything. So yeah, it's just like a thing. Absolutely, yeah. It's like she, it's like she looked like a regular judge and then she took her helmet off and then suddenly it like poofed out and she turned into like Garnet from Steven Universe or something like that. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think that that makes sense. I don't know. Big hair. Big hair don't care. That's what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. Willie is off to the cubes and Karen is getting chewed out by Judge, by us, the, the head of side division, Judge Schenker, for losing another bike in two weeks. But Karen knows that he's probably more worried about the fact that she had a side flash because when those happen randomly, it means something big and bad is coming. At Recyc, that guy that got the jar thing wanders out into the night. You see that his hand is transparent and he talks about not being stable as a drunk asks him for money. Man attacks the drunk who screams but then walks off into the night saying, that's much better. A judge, possibly Karen, then arrives on the scene at the McCoy, at the corner of McCoy and Baker, which is a Doctor Who reference. Those are two actors that play Doctor Who and finds what seems to be a skinned corpse Crud on a greenie. Next time, dreams of death. Well, I should say I, I I read ahead a little bit, and it's actually not a skinned corpse. This story is called like uh oh I didn't kick uh blah blah blah. This story is called like Skinner or whatever. But um, what's actually happening is that the uh whatever's doing this, whatever the killer is or whatever, is leaving behind the hollowed out skins of people. Like, like they just sort of sucked all their guts out with a straw or something like that. Like you then do. Leave the skin behind. Oh yeah, listen. Yeah, they just they sucked them out like from uh, from the inside of like a hot pocket or something like that. It's like if you just ate the inside of a hot pocket and left the hot pocket yeah. behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who hasn't? Which is gross. That's very by related. the way, don't do that. Oh man, <laughs> I'm not into it, Eli. Or the or a, the <laughs> filling of a pie if you're English because they don't have hot pockets out here anyway. Oh, got it. <laughs> yeah. So next time on Judge Karen, in this Skinner story, story called "Dreams of Death," and we'll find out what's going on there then. And with that, we've reached the end of our stories for this episode, Eli. Oh man, 
just mm-hmm. keeping things the same. You know, pretty solid. I like when we have mm-hmm. it's only like five or six stories in an episode. That's always, you know, yeah. that consistency. Although it's yeah. helped by the fact, I guess, that we've only done two issues this time. So whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. So with that said, I got to know, Eli, what are your top and bottom stories for this volume two, issues 55 and 56 of the Judge Red magazine? Yeah, that's a tough one. There weren't any that I really like that stood out that I really disliked. Yeah. Um, they were like middling at worst, uh, which I think is good. Um, so let's see. Uh, on my my uh, premises, the ones that are kind of still like just started up and are ongoing, like Karen, like I'm like, hey, I don't know. Um, Harmony, I'm like, I'm still waiting to see how that turns out. Mm-hmm. So with that, the bottom is going to either be um, the first story of Missionary Man or the Anderson story. Um, Missionary Man, I just how, what they did with um, Legion at the end felt weird. Uh, just like we can't kill him, put him in the lava. Here's the <laughs> mutant. I'm like, oh, there's there's maybe a cooler way that you could have done it. Maybe you could have explained what he is a little bit more. It just felt a yeah. little like we're done with this. Let's stop talking about it. Is <laughs> uh, I might be being a little biased on that. And then no, I hear uh, you. Hershey's, I hear you. And then Hershey's only sin was like, you guys didn't need to make out at the end there. Something about it feels. Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, But, you know, that's, I can forgive both of those things. But if I have to, uh, you know, uh, wag my finger at something, it's got to be one of those two. Nice. Then Um, what's your top story for this time? Oh, right. Focusing so much on the negativity. I got to figure out what's on top. Keep it posy here, you know? um, uh, I'll put. Um, I like Judge Dredd a lot. Um, uh, him fighting the how uh, he was the Howler, yeah. right? Yeah, the Howler. Yeah. Um, I I really like that story. It was funny and just kind of over the top, and you know, classic Dredd used their power against him, and I still got to see Dredd get the crap beat out of him, which was a treat. Yeah, so yeah, it was just nice and fairly rare for sure. All right. So yeah. Uh, so I'll I'll give that one the top spot. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, hmm. I might join you with the end of the Legion story for Missionary Man as my bottom, I think. I I agree with you that it feels kind of instant. Like, it was just one of these, like, we spent all this time establishing that just shooting him wouldn't work. And then he just kind of shot him, you know? Like, <laughs> right, right. And we don't really see him. Stabbed. That's yeah. Where, but, like, we just. Less than being shot. Yeah, and we don't really see him getting these crosses or anything like that. He was just like, oh, I forgot yeah. to use. The extra special ones or whatever. Like, like he always, he always had them. He just like <laughs> didn't activate them in his RPG inventory or whatever. Right. Yes. So, like, oh, I thought, you know, usually I don't like to use these, uh, these, these buff items, these items that make me more powerful. But I guess right. if we're being serious, then I'll use them this once, you know, mm. that kind of thing. Right. Also, they made them like they're made out of silver, boiled down from crosses. Which I'm like, does that make them less holy, more holy? And is this guy immune to silver? Like, is silver supposed to be extra effective again? Like, it was just a lot. Yeah, of if he's if he's just a mutant, stuff. then why does why does religious stuff work on him? Like, why does right. the fact they're from crosses mean anything? You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Whatever. <laughs> for my top, yeah, and then for my top, I don't know. You know, I thought. Anderson was okay, and like I guess the relationship with her and Orlock's kind of interesting. Um, 
still kind of early days for Harmony, though I'm interested in that story and, and where it's going. And, and, and same thing for Karen, these sort of new stories with, with new characters, but I want to let them develop a little bit more. Um, and Shimura was like, the Shimura's just so dense in terms of like right. how many things are going on and happening with it, you know? So it's hard to sort of pick it just because that's one where I feel like I'm really working when I'm writing recaps for it, you know, that's one <laughs> right. where it's not just, oh yeah, the missionary man shoots this guy. It's like, oh, there's this and there's this and there's that and all this, you know, honors involved, whatever. It's right. Just a lot. I think in the end, I might join you and say, and, and put, I might just have go full solidarity actually and, and put Dread on my top. Cause I, I like this Howler story. I thought the Howler himself was a fun villain, just this sort of, ostentatious vain conqueror of the galaxy character you know that's fun and um absolutely and just the fact that he totally outclassed dread until dread found some secret weakness and stuff was neat you know i think i said last time like you know there's some comic book characters like i I always think of spider-man as like this where like part of the arc of one of his standard fights is that he kind of gets the crap beaten out of him like at Mm. least once you know right that's sort of, you know, they like doing that image of Spider-Man where like part of his mask is ripped off or something mm, like that. Right. Had his ass kicked so hard. But that's, yes. un- that's uncommon for Dread. Dread usually right. just kind of is the ass kicker himself. So mm, right. I think someone who really gave, you know, having a, a monster that, that really gives Dread a run for his money is, is unusual. And so I think is an interesting thing to have, I guess. Yeah. It also felt uh, legitimate because there have been characters that have uh, beat Judge Dredd, but it always was in a kind of weird Mary Sue type of way where it's mm-hmm. like, look how awesome he is. This one was like, no, this guy, Dredd tried it. He was like, no, backhand Dredd. And it was like, okay, this, yeah. it, it, it tracks, it tracks. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I just think, you know, and I'm, I'm just, it's just cool to see that making Dredd sort of have to outsmart him and stuff like that. I think it's like mm. a nice, nice change of pace from the standard stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there we go. That is the episode. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Tish, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, BigMegOne.com. Contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com. The 2084 is our Facebook and Twitter pages. Check out Big Meg One. You'll find us. And then and feel free to drop us a rating or review wherever you listen to us. It helps people find us if they're looking for a cool podcast this show is brought to you by steve green robert hardingham and your friends the 2080 forums if you'd like to join them and help support the show we'd appreciate it check out our patreon at patreon.com slash that's our podcast network there you can support the show and get some excellent rewards and come back next time as we roll forward with all of our current thrills with some big plot developments occurring in judge dread the wilderlands mega epic is on the way and until then, I'm Conrad, they're Eli, and we are Big Meg One. Drag it!